What's going on, everybody? And welcome into this edition of Be Shafe Daily Live. Brendan Schaefer here with you, breaking down the next worst Cardinals loss of the season. It just it seems like every time we do this, there's another one. And tonight was another one. As Jordan Walker hit what, have, what would have been the most emphatic home run of this Cardinals season. Just an absolute moonshot, a no-doubter in every sense of the phrase. And it puts the Cardinals ahead 9-8 to eight after a game that saw the Cardinals starter go one out. Matthew Libertor recorded one out in this game. The Cardinals were behind the eight ball from the early going. That's a sensation that's not all too unfamiliar for the St. Louis Cardinals team. And yet they found a way offensively to battle back in this game, to do some nice things, to stay alive. The pitching wasn't strong. You give up 10 runs. The pitching is certainly not a high point of the night. But for the offense to be able to do what it did, Arenado, huge game. He's he's locked in, laser-focused right now. Wilson Contreras diving it out to first base to beat out an infield hit. I mean, these are the things that this Cardinals team is doing some of those things. But collectively, as a group, they just they flat out don't have it. And more and more, we're discovering that it is the pitching behind a lot of the issues for this team. Brendan Donovan offensively was great. Again, as the leadoff man, he can't play defense because he's hurt, but he has a three-hit game. Arnado and Contreras, I mentioned both of them, three-hit games. Jordan Walker, like I said, it would have been the most emphatic home run of this Cardinals season, bar none. But then, well, you guys saw what happened. Inexplicable, Jordan Hicks throws it away. The one Cardinals reliever recently who had been reliable, and believe me, he was the only one that's been reliable recently for this team. Inexplicable throws the game away. I mean, I just don't know how many more times we can have this conversation about, hey, guess what? The Cardinals found a new way to lose tonight. But that's exactly what happened as they lose 10-9 to to the Marlins. And so they fall. They fall deeper and deeper into the pit of despair. I'll pull up the standings. I don't know if I'm even going to risk putting it on the screen, but I'll read it to you guys. Trying to play around a little bit with the video. I think it came back to bite me. Still some more things I want to do with this stream. Make sure you guys like the stream, by the way. Appreciate y'all for being here. If you want to subscribe to this channel, that would be great. Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer on YouTube. You find my videos. You find my podcast, Be Shafe Daily. And on occasion, we'll do live videos like this one as long as the T-Mobile internet will allow. I'm hoping tonight that they will. The Cardinals, though are 12 and a half games back in the NL Central. They're 16 games below 500. And the Cincinnati Reds continue to roll. This is no longer a situation where you can say, oh, the NL Central is just a bad division. Maybe the Cardinals can take advantage. No, no, the Cardinals are, I mean, they're a bad team. I, They are, in every sense of the thought, they are less than the sum of their parts in the 2023 season. They are. You can look up and down the roster and find a lot of good things. Arenado, Goldschmidt, Contreras coming around, Brendan Donovan, a lot of good things. Pitching-wise, it just hasn't been there for the Cardinals this season. And so that's the concern. And that's the thing that I don't know how you fix. I don't know that it just comes from magic, fairy dust, pixie dust that brings this Cardinals season back. Like I said, at this point, six games below 500. With where they are in the division, it's... It's hard to imagine that it's going to end up turning around at this point for the Cardinals. But a lot has happened 
recently for this team. And so if we can get some luck on YouTube, I'm going to try to jump into it right here, into your comments. As we're getting some more errors on YouTube, it hurts my soul that I can't get this thing right. Man, it's frustrating. It's as frustrating as the Cardinal season. I, I just don't have the energy to do it today. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. Well, we're trying, guys. Childless Gambino, I'm just going to jump into the comments I see. Katie Wu said on the radio that St. Louis is not a desirable location in free agency. Is there anything the front office can do to change that? I have to believe they'll be forced to sign some starters, but I don't know. There's not really a lot that the front office can do to change that other than get back the mentality of winning that the Cardinals organization has carried for a long, long time prior to this season. And there are a lot of things about St. Louis that when you look in the grand scheme of things, it's not really the Cardinals' fault. Some of some of the stuff that goes on that you just can't you can't win that you're not on a beach. You can't win that you're not on a coast. You know, there's some things just inherent to St. Louis that the front office really has nothing to do with. But what they've always been able to sell historically to certain players, not to all players, because not all players were necessarily buying what the St. Louis Cardinals organization had to sell, but enough of them did, right? Nolan Arenado did, Paul Goldschmidt did, Wilson Contreras did. Over the years, you've had players that have been willing to do it, but, you know, it seems like that group of players has often been in the minority, and now you've got a team 16 games below 500. They're not winning on the field, and so what do you do? What do you do do as the Cardinals to try to fix it? Yeah, they're going to have to come up with pitching, and in many cases, they would have to overpay. I think for that pitching, right? Like that's been an aspect of this that maybe is, is not what people want to acknowledge, but I think in many ways it's possible that the Cardinals will just have to pay more and pay above market, pay above what's fair, what's reasonable to potentially be able to, to bring in the pitching that they're going to need in the off season. Jesse says, be totally honest. The Cardinals aren't winning 70 games. Yeah, I mean, right now they're on a pace to to lose far more than 70. So it's definitely a possibility that they don't win 70 games. They could lose 90. They could lose 95. If they turn into sellers at the deadline, like they probably should, they could lose even more than that. That's what this season has the potential to turn into, and it's kind of really ramped up, in my opinion, over the last couple of weeks. But in reality, we've been here this entire time. We've been here with these conversations since the Cardinals were 10 and 24, but at that point, it seemed like it was more realistic for them to be able to turn things around. And then, you know, some things have happened. And so I don't know anymore how, I don't know anymore how realistic it is that they'll turn it around. Joshua giving me some credit for the uh, seventh circle of hell tweet. That's the only thing I could think of that in putting the curb, your enthusiasm music behind the Jordan Hicks reaction to the throwaway that ended the game tonight. Those were my two thoughts. I mean, at a certain point, you you do run out of words to be able to describe what we're seeing with this team. And for Jordan Hicks to throw that away, I did not see that coming. But once he double-clutched it, you're like, yep, this is going to end badly. And it did. Connor said, I don't know if you've mentioned it, but I haven't heard your take on what Michael Kay said about Contreras calling pitches not in pitchers' arsenal. So, 
This was a report that came, it feels like it's been five or six days ago by now, Connor, but one that a lot of Cardinals fans have probably heard about where Michael Kay, during that Yankees series, I guess this is when it would have been, it was reported by him, and he's a broadcaster, I think he does the Yankees games, but he also does the, like the A-Rod stream on ESPN for Sunday Night Baseball, he does that with Alex Rodriguez. But he's like a Yankees guy, but he said he was talking to somebody within the Cardinals and they may have dropped the smoking gun on the entire Wilson Contreras thing. And what he said was that he was told that Wilson Contreras was really frustrating the Cardinals pitchers early in the year because he was calling pitches that the pitch he was calling, that pitcher didn't throw that pitch. Like he was calling for pitches that the guy on the mound simply didn't and hadn't and never has thrown, which... If that ended up as the reason the Cardinals had to sideline him for a little bit, you could connect a lot of dots and say that would make sense, honestly. Because it was so weird, the lengths they went through to try and not explain what was going on, that if they would have said, well, here's what Wilson Contreras has been doing, people would have lost their minds. And I think rightfully so. But what do I think of it? Honestly, in this era, it's not all that tremendously difficult to understand how that might happen a couple of times in isolated situations. And the reason I say that is it's all pitchcom related. It would never happen, I don't think in a million years, even with a pitcher and catcher combo that they weren't familiar with one another, but you would think that Wilson Contreras or any other MLB catcher wouldn't do it if it were just putting down fingers. But those buttons, I've never really held a pitchcom, so I don't know how difficult it might be to Try and make sure nobody sees what you're, what button you're pressing, but at the same time, make sure you know what button you're pressing. And so is it possible that Wilson Contreras was like just bad at like finagling the pitchcom device and having trouble with that and consistently like messing it up? I guess that's possible. Why isn't it something that came out before? Clearly the Cardinals tried pretty hard until they didn't to, to keep it under wraps. And they did a good job because everybody in the, the in the area was wondering what the heck was going on with the Contreras saga. But knowing that we don't have any other strong leads on that, and knowing that Ali Marmel and Contreras were asked about it the next day and both declined to comment, you know, you can decline comment for a lot of reasons, but one of those reasons sometimes is, well, you're, you're a little bit too close to the truth, and we maybe just don't want to get into it because we feel like, as the Cardinals, that's over and done with. We've, we've already been through all this, and we don't want to relitigate it. And so nothing is gained by commenting on the report. Let's hope it goes away. Do I think it's plausible? I absolutely do think it's plausible that Contreras was calling for pitches that those pitchers didn't throw. Like I said, in the pitchcom era, I think it's a little like logistically understandable how that would happen. Is it a problem? Yeah, it's, it's a problem. And you can think back to Jack Flaherty saying, we're throwing pitches that don't make any sense. Maybe I'm reaching to try and connect those two threads together, but you could see where maybe that's maybe that's the thought process. Like if I'm Jack Flaherty on the mound and I'm getting the button pressed to throw a pitch that I don't throw, I, I would figure I just wouldn't throw it because I don't have it in my arsenal. But maybe there's a scenario where it's a pitch that I throw, but not often, and he's pressing the button, so I throw it. Like maybe... But, Connor, I appreciate you bringing that up because that is something that happened, and it was very strange. It was very strange. You get that report. The entire Contreras situation was odd, and we never really got an explanation for it. So do I tend to buy the Michael K. report? Yeah, I do. I tend to believe that that's probably very plausible, something that happened. 
Will says, welcome back. Be safe. <clears throat> Standing Pat means the front office doesn't know what to do or doesn't want to do anything. And y'all need to cinch this in. It will get worse. The season record very well might get worse. The Cardinals might lose 100 games this year. But I would make the case that it might be necessary to have that happen because the pitching is what's bad, but pitching is actually what they have available to sell. I You have to trade Jordan Montgomery at this point. Had like six no-hit innings in his last start. Cardinals, of course, found a way to lose. I think that was a game that they lost. But he's been pitching well, and he's one of the only ones doing so. But at the same time, if you get to the end of the trade deadline and there are World Series contenders that need a guy like Montgomery who's pitching right now like a number one or a number two. So if you're a playoff team thinking, we just need one more starter to to win a seven-game series or even a five-game series, Montgomery should have value. The Cardinals should get value for Jordan Montgomery. That value needs to exceed the qualifying offer value, which means Cardinals would offer him the QO. He would decline it because he's definitely pitching his way into a multi-year contract. And then you would get the draft pick compensation when he signs somewhere else. As long as the prospects or the players you're getting in return for Monty are greater than the value of that draft pick, I say you absolutely have to do it at this point. Is there a world in which the Cardinals make a comeback this year and make a run at the Central? Let's say the Reds, they lose steam because some injuries happen. It's baseball. The Brewers maybe don't have the hitting to keep up, and it it gets back to being that 82-win season that wins the Central. Right now, I think both the Brewers and Reds could certainly win more than 82. But if it gets to that point, yeah, the Cardinals could make it make a run back into it. Do we expect it, though? And should the Cardinals behave as though it's the expectation? I say no at this point. At this point, I just don't think it makes much sense for them to, to treat their roster and their situation like they're about to turn this thing around because they've, they've shown no sign that they're going to. So you trade Montgomery. You probably trade Flaherty if he can give you enough value, but he's got he's to pitch well in July, I think, to do that, which could start on Thursday. Taking on Yuri Perez should be a very interesting pitching matchup in Miami as the Cardinals try to avoid the sweep. How do you like that? Jordan Hicks, though, as long as, uh, as, long as he doesn't do too many more times what he did tonight, I think he'll still have value at the deadline, and you trade him as well. But it's crazy to me that that's kind of the version of not standing pat is trading away the players that you have. And when you do that, you probably do get worse because Matthew Libertor doesn't seem to have it. I'm not saying he'll never have it, but this year he doesn't have it. Dakota Hudson, well, you saw him pitch. Steven Matz probably goes back into the rotation, and that ends up being a reasonable thing in, in all honesty. But you just don't have five starters at this point. And if you start trading guys away, the good ones, the ones that are performing for you, you're going to have even fewer than five starters pretty clearly. And so it ends up being a really difficult situation that probably ends in the Cardinals losing 90-plus, maybe 100 games. It's gotten bad. It's gotten bad, and I think you're I think you're past the point of no return on thinking this season can be something. And I, mea culpa to me because I did. I thought at, uh, at a point in time early on, I did think that this would still be a season that would turn around for the Cardinals. And it just hasn't happened. It just has not happened that way. Jason says Wainwright is done. The shoulder injury is just a way to get him out of the rest of the season without more embarrassment. I do think they're going to give him some time and then bring him back. I don't think he's thrown his last pitch for the Cardinals. But 
you know, you you guys have seen the last three starts. He's been completely non-competitive, and that's a really difficult spot. It's a really difficult spot to be in. It's hard to watch because everybody's rooting for him and wants to see him do well. But at this point, you know, it's just it, realistically what's going to happen to to turn his stuff around. His stuff has just not been sharp. The curveball has not been sharp. When Adam Wainwright doesn't have his curveball, I mean, what does he have? He's got mid-80s velocity and no equalizing pitch. So, yeah, it was past time to, to put him on the IL. I wanted to see him battle through it. I did. Even after his second brutal start, I just thought, he hasn't done that to this point. And so maybe this, this is just a bump in the road and he can figure it out. And he won't be great, but he'll at least be serviceable. Back to where he had been. Five innings, four runs. You know, just being able to get by and, and have it have it not be an embarrassment. But he was unable to to maintain that. And I, I think health is a reason. I just think it's frustrating when you look at the way the Cardinals have handled a lot of things this year. The way they have presented the messaging of, of certain scenarios. It's been disappointing because there are inconsistencies there. And while I understand there's not even anything I can say about Ollie Marmel's ability to get this team to execute because he flat out has not. But I like I still see the qualities of a good manager. I see that he's got baseball acumen. But it's just such a it's a it screws with my mind to think about, all right, well, what's causing the issues? Why is he not able to fix them? But you could turn that around and go. Well, do you think he told Jordan Hicks to double pump and throw the ball into right field tonight? No. But how many days can I keep telling you good people that it's fine because Ollie isn't the one that made the mistake that cost them the game? But it's somebody different every every day. And this team is, I mean, again, we're over halfway through the season and they're well on their way to losing close to 100 games. So it doesn't really matter if Ollie's done anything to contribute to this or not. He's, he's partially responsible, like all of them are, for what's going on. But what's disappointing to me is when you get, you know, in the postgame on Tuesday, Ollie's asked about Wainwright, and he says, well, he's going to go on the injured list. Well, is it something physical? Well, yeah, he's been dealing with physical things all year. He's been pitching with pain for years, and at times he's pitched through that pain with more results than he's getting right now. But, yeah, he's always pitching through pain. It's like, all right, don't turn this around on everybody because you guys were pretty clear that there was nothing physical going on with Adam Wainwright. And so you can't just say a couple weeks later, well, yeah, I mean, obviously he's always dealing with things that are physical in nature, and uh, it's it's the injury to his shoulder right now that's really costing us. He's going to have some time. We're going to see what it is. Like, the performance is the reason that he's out there right now going on the IL because the performance was not consistent. Now, are there physical reasons for that? I'm sure that there are. But I don't like the way that the Cardinals will insist it's one thing until they say that it's something else. But then when like a reporter like Derek Gould asks for some clarification on that, Ollie acts indignant at the question. It doesn't matter. These media things don't matter. Media relations don't matter. But when you're as bad as the Cardinals are this year, media relations type stuff is all you have as a manager to be able to kind of level with people and say, here's, you know, here's the situation. Admittedly, it's very difficult for Ollie Marmel to be personable and be human in those moments because it's the same damn thing every day. It's got to be brutal for Ollie Marmel as the manager of this team. But at a certain point, yeah, he's going to rub off on people the wrong way when consistently it does feel like there have been those kinds of conversations. Like it's not Derek, Derek Gould's fault or anybody else's fault who's in there asking questions covering this team in Miami that these things are going on. 
The reporters don't like it any more than anybody else. It's they're, they're objective about it, but it's not fun to cover a team playing like this. I mean, nobody's comfortable with it. And so I, I just feel like a few too many times, don't act like it's one thing and then act completely confused when you reveal it's something else. But you've been saying for several weeks that there was no physical issue with Wainwright. That's just an example that I'm kind of like, all right, for the people that want me to say something negative about Ollie, that's the one I'll give you where it's like, I think sometimes he could stand to have a little more grace in the way he goes about those things. But turn that around. If I were managing a team that were six, 16 games under 500 right now, like he has, dude, I, would, I wouldn't be able to contain myself either. So I get it to some extent. But that's what I'll say. Like the, My confidence is, is not high in his ability to turn this around this year. But how much is that a question of it's Ollie Marmol versus this roster is just inexplicably bad, and especially from a pitching perspective. Their pitching is horrible. They are consistently, everybody on this roster, not picking up the mantle and running with it. Ollie said tonight, eventually, everybody's got to just take their opportunity and do something with it, whether it's a bullpen guy, a starter. doesn't matter. Nobody's taking the opportunities and running with it. So I agree with Ollie in a lot of ways. I, I think that the complaints that I would have about the job he's doing are rather nitpicky and not indicative of like major issues. But Cardinals fans have a lot of major issues with him, and I get the reason why. This is the worst season of Cardinals baseball in my lifetime, and uh, I'm 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 pretty old now. Just turned 29 on Saturday. So, Connor, thank you for the super chat, man. I, I didn't get a chance to mention. If you guys want to make sure I get the comment read and you want to support the stream, super chat is a great way to do it. Connor, chiming in, you mentioned briefly. I think this is Libby's last start for a bit. I recognize the lack of replacements, but they've been qu- uh, quick to pull him so often. Yeah, 21 pitches tonight, one out. I don't think Libby makes another start. Now, they might have to have him make another start by necessity. They could look at this, Connor, and say, well, tonight the reason that he struggled was because we had to throw him on short rest, but they didn't have to throw him on short rest. They could have thrown Zach Thompson. Granted, Zach Thompson has a 9 ERA in Memphis as a starter, so you don't have great options here. Everybody knows now the the news from Tuesday where Wainwright hits the IL, Kisner to the IL, James Nail gets lit up like a Christmas tree. He goes back to Memphis. And so Dakota's back. Uh, Zach Thompson, the lefty, is back. And Avon Herrera to be the backup catcher. Like, those are the moves that you just had to make. They are swimming upstream without a paddle. The current is flowing. It's bad. It could get worse. But when it comes to Libertor, I had said, let him go till mid-July See what it looks like because you've got to find out if he could be a part of your future. He is failing so spectacularly that it's it's going to be hard to continue giving him those opportunities. I think today, though, it was just a mistake to have him in there. He shouldn't have pitched on short rest. There are very few pitchers in baseball today that I think you should feel comfortable throwing on short rest. I don't care that he only threw 56 pitches or whatever on, on the 1st of July. That's still three days rest for a guy that has been a starter, been on a starter schedule. Um, they've They've... Jacked him around too much, in my opinion, this season, Matthew Libertor. You remember when they called him up, it was like, well, it's going to be part of a six-man rotation, but only sometimes. And, well, now we might need him as a as a reliever. But, no, he's going to pitch out of relief only because it's a side session day. It's not, you know, he's got to throw anyway, so this is fine. Like, that's not, at a certain point, I think we got to put our foot down and go, all right, this isn't normal. We can pretend like it's okay. We can pretend like you can give an explanation, Cardinals, that this is the reason, and it can sound really nice, and it can sound sensible, but it has happened a lot this year that I I look at some of these decisions a little bit sideways, and when enough of them pile up, it's on Ollie Marmel, it's on John Moselock, it's on everybody. 
And sure, am I doing a little bit of what I say pisses me off when Cardinals fans do when Ollie makes a bullpen move and they wait till it fails to start tweeting about it and start complaining about it? Sure, because I wasn't doing a live stream when this was all going on. I was actually trying to get through the big show today solo. Andy, my co-host, his wife had their baby over the weekend, which is really exciting. But I was the solo host with uh, Chris, the board op, the producer, along for the ride with me. And I was like doing some math on it. I'm like, Matthew Libertor pitched Saturday. They had a doubleheader. Why is he starting today? Now, I get it. When you have a doubleheader, it's difficult. You can't always just choose the, the perfect option three days later because you had to burn two starters in one day. That's the nature of a doubleheader. But they called up Zach Thompson, who's been pitching on regular schedules in Memphis. They could have thrown him for some innings. They could have thrown Steven Matz. They didn't have to start Matthew Libertor. And I thought, had I been a little bit more locked in over the weekend, which I admittedly was not that locked in, wasn't doing podcasts, wasn't, you know, on, on the regular grind like I traditionally am over the holiday. And if I had noticed that sooner, I probably would have tweeted about it. But I didn't. And then before you even could get out of the first inning, you're seeing why it was not a, a good decision. Dakota Hudson, you know, he didn't pitch great, but he's not really a great pitcher at this point in his career. And so I'm glad they gave him a chance because you have nothing to lose at this point if you're the Cardinals and you had innings to fill. So, Connor, when it comes to the, the quick hook, I think it's just the nature of where the Cardinals are at right now. Ollie's trying to pick up wins, but he's making a decision and then instantly regretting that decision when it comes to Libby starting. He shouldn't have started today. I have no problem saying that Matthew Libertor starting on short rest after having not a successful season so far for the Cardinals, plus being kind of jerked around in the way that they've used him at the big league level, I think that was a managerial mistake. And I don't know if that was just Ollie's decision, if that was, it's a full staff. Everybody needs to take accountability for that. But it was unequivocally a mistake. It's one that people could have seen coming. And uh, like I said, if you think I'm doing a little bit of hindsight, I regret that it probably sounds that way. But I was doing my radio show going, what? Am I missing something? And sure, he only threw 50-some-odd pitches on Saturday. It doesn't matter. I think I think you're forcing something that didn't need to be forced. But they felt like Libertor, if he's close to being ready three days after throwing 50 pitches, then he probably gives you a better chance than the guy who's got a 9 ERA at Memphis. They probably had a plan for the way they wanted this game to go today, guys. It didn't come anything close to that. And what's so freaking nuts is they still should have and could have won the baseball game. Credit to the offense. Those guys aren't giving in. I know it kind of feels like they have not been able to, to show up when they've been needed. But today, the Cardinals offense showed up. And as Ollie said after the game, you cannot give up 10 runs and expect to win a game. It's not big leagues. You score nine runs, you win. And boy, how many times have we uttered similar phrases to that this season? It's been a huge problem, and I don't know that it's anything going away anytime soon. Thank you guys for joining this stream. If you're new to the stream, we've got a lot of numbers in here right now. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. It allows you to, within 60 seconds, join the live chat. And please do like the stream. We're up to 18, but we've got about five times that many people watching right now. Would love to have you guys like the stream. We do a lot of Cardinals content. It's going to be a lot of fun, I promise you, as we get to trade deadline stuff because we can identify and we can analyze everything going on with this team when they make trades. I'm not going to say if. I'm going to say when because they can't afford to stand pat. If John Mozeliak wants to stand pat, he should honestly step aside a little bit earlier than the expiration of his contract and let Randy Flores or Mike Gersh or whomever else handle the deadline. Is that realistic? No, it's not going to happen. Randy Flores is neck deep in getting the MLB draft ready. That's his job as the scouting director, the farm director. But at the same time, it's like they they need bold decisions. They need bold moves. And I don't know if they're going to be able to make them at the deadline. 
And if they don't make them at the deadline, they'll say, well, we've got all offseason to really fix the roster for next year. No. Consistently, the can has been kicked down the road. And what that has led to is the Cardinals being a little bit behind the eight ball in every little category. And it's starting to pile up. And now you've seen the floodgates open up this season. You cannot expect to fix the things that you didn't fix in this acquisition period six months down the road. Eventually, you're kind of operating on a deficit every single time. And the deficit now is starting pitching. It's relief pitching. Injuries haven't helped, but they've not really been in a terrible position due to injury. Like, Miles Michaelis has been healthy. Jack Flaherty has mostly been healthy. Jordan Montgomery has stayed healthy. Uh, You know, Steven Matz hasn't been hurt. He just hasn't been able to keep a rotation spot. They lost Ryan Helsley, and that sucks. It's hurting them for sure. But other than that, it's just been bad performance from levers that should be doing a better job, from starters that should be doing a better job. And John Moselak finally admitted, I saw on KMOX, I think Tom Ackerman had the tweet of some of the quotes that he put out there. Uh, Sports director for KMOX does a great job. Finally kind of admitted that, yeah, we should have done more when it came to pitching in the offseason. But, all right, is that just going to be the admission that says, in the fact that we didn't do more now means that we're tanked for the next two or three years? Or is it bold action at the deadline to try to fix it and spend in the dang money in the offseason to be a top 10 payroll like Cardinals fans deserve? Like, I, I get a little bit angsty when it comes to payroll conversations sometimes because I... Like, generally, generally they have been decently rated in payroll. Either they're 12th or they're 14th or whatever. Still top half. This year, I think there's something like 16th. That's not acceptable for the Cardinals. They can keep printing the money if they want to. Cardinals fans have supported the heck out of this team. I don't care about the market size. Bill DeWitt, his his group, they've got to do a better job. They've got to be a top 10 payroll uh, at a minimum. And we'll see in the offseason if they recognize that the model that has been tested has unequivocally failed. And whether it's just that means a financial model or a model when it comes to developing and acquiring pitching, whatever it's been, it's a failure. It, it is it has hit the wall. You you have to change. You have to do something differently. I think moving forward, if you're going to find success, and so we'll see. We'll see what they're able to do. But I do think it needs to start at the trade deadline. I don't think you can just plan to do it all in the off season. I think you've got to do some of it at the deadline in order to set yourself up well for the off season. But thank you guys for joining me. The viewers are good until we get errors that kick us off here. Subscribe to the uh, Brendan Schaefer YouTube channel. That's the name of the game because hopefully over the course of time, YouTube will <laughs> YouTube will emphasize their live streaming platform. I know a lot of people on Twitch are saying like Twitch has been in the, in the dumps, not rewarding creators, not building community. I feel like YouTube has an opportunity here to step in, fix the damn issues with the live streams, they happen consistently, and they're not all on my internet. But uh, that's ho- something that hopefully will happen. But the point is, we're talking Cardinals baseball, whether it's live or just videos on this channel. Make sure you guys are subscribed and uh, like the stream if you could do so. Scotty, thank you so much for the super chat, man. He said, I made the right decision to go to bed at a reasonable hour last night. Still gutted to wake up to another one-run loss. Is it 2024 yet? Yeah, this is something that I tweeted out. I said, y'all ready for that one one one-run loss to hit different tonight? And then Jordan Walker hit a home run, and yet I still ended up being correct that the Cardinals had a one-run loss. It did hit different in that they they had the comeback. Jordan Walker's swing, every time something like that happens for the Cardinals, it's like, hey, could that be the turning point of this season? What an exciting moment. Can that be the thing that launches the Cardinals? And then what ends up happening? Nothing. Nothing, because the pitching tanks it. The pitching consistently has tanked it. 
Thank you for that super chat, Scotty. I'm going to get back into the comments here, but they're coming in so hot and heavy. I'm not going to potentially get to them all. There's just no way. Um, super chat is one way that I can see it, but I, I've just got to do the best that I can to scroll through everything else. Tom says the offense is not the issue. It's pitching some of the worst in baseball. He's completely correct about it. There was a time this year where I thought the offense was maybe a little bit more responsible for the struggles, but that has flipped completely back for sure. The pitching has just been abysmal over the recent days. And even when you get good starting pitching, you have another bullpen meltdown on Monday. Like it's just, and I wouldn't say Michaelis was good, but he was good enough. And it just wasn't good enough to win the game because, uh, you know, Palante came in and couldn't get his job done. The Grave of Einstein chiming in. Accountability is a bit of a bad buzzword because how is one supposed to take accountability and what exactly for? I agree that the term accountability is something that fans can do when they're mad and say, nobody's being held accountable, hold them accountable. They want people to be fired, I think, is when when fans say accountability, that's what they mean. Realistically, that, that cannot always be the result. And, like, I saw Bernie Miklas having a lot to say on Twitter today. A lot of people, uh, you know, follow Bernie for a long time. I certainly have since growing up in the St. Louis area, reading him as a kid. And he was making the comparison of some of the quotes that Bill DeWitt said after firing Mike Matheny and said 500 baseball is not acceptable in St. Louis. We need to be better than that. And now you look and say, well, I mean, you would do crimes for 500 baseball right now. It's the Cardinals, but they're 16 games below. Where's the accountability for that? I think that's the line of thought that a lot of fans do have. I think I understand why DeWitt is slow to act in this regard. I think for a lot of the season, it was because he just thought it was going to get better. Mosellac thought it was going to get better. Ollie Marmel had confidence it was going to get better. I don't know if any of that's true anymore. I don't know if any of them have that level of confidence that this is ultimately going to turn around at this point. And it's frustrating to see that this might be the reality that they're living in. But what does that mean in terms of making moves? Because the Cardinals have always been an organization that runs from internal moves, right? Even when they have to make a change, the next man up is already in the organization, whether that's been for the front office, for the field managing staff, for the coaching staff. They don't often go out of the organization unless they absolutely have to. And so at this point, I don't know that they have a game plan for what it would look like to clean house because they have really been committed to the plan that they've put in place when they fired Mike Schilt, when they promoted Ollie Marmel. They really felt like they had it right, and Ollie looked like he was the guy for the job last year. So many things have collided to go wrong for the team this season that I don't think you could possibly put it all on Ollie Marmel. But to say that he's done a good job managing would be a falsehood. He hasn't. No no manager in this situation could possibly be doing a good job because wins at the end of the day are what matter. That being said, is Ollie the reason this team is as bad as they are? I don't think so. I, I mean, it's just a collection of the roster doesn't fit together the way that it needed to, and you flat out don't have enough pitching. So... That's where I get in trouble with the accountability thing because I'm not entirely sure what the move is supposed to be that you make to say, all right, this is the thing that holds everybody accountable, and now you know now it's completely good to go. I just don't know realistically if that if that's something the Cardinals are in position to do anything about. So I agree with you, Einstein. Accountability is a tough kind of buzzword to be able to to be able to figure out what to do with at this point in time. Because in reality, I think when fans use it, they mean fire somebody. And I just don't know realistically if if that's something that they're willing to do. I don't know if it's anything that helps right now. It's just kind of where they're at with these things. So, uh, Let's see here. Tom suggesting trading Goldie to Philly if you can get Painter plus prospects. 
Um, Painter, a good pitching prospect, right? I don't know if that's realistic. I don't know. And I also, I, I don't want to see this team, tra- team trade Paul Goldsmith. I really, really don't. Uh, I understand why, why fans will say it's what they should do. Like, when you get to the end of July and this team's 20 games out, I won't be able to go, well, why would you Why would you want to trade him? It matters for next year to have your best players. That's been my line of thought. But, like, if this team is really 20 games out bad, it's going to be hard for fans to be able to believe that they're one year or one off season away from turning it back around. I still believe that they are that close to turning it back around, but only if John Moselak does what he needs to do and Bill DeWitt greenlights what he needs to allow from a pitching perspective. But then it's not just Bill DeWitt needing to greenlight the money being spent on pitching. You have to sign the right guys. You have to trade for the right players. And John Moselak has had a bad run for the last couple of years of not getting these deals done, of signing the wrong players in some instances. Steven Matz was the wrong player to sign. But you can look in the moment and know why they had their reason to do it. They thought it was the safe signing. They thought there's a lockout coming and we don't want to be susceptible to rising markets. It was all about the penny pinch to an extent though, is what's the problem with these moves that they considered safe at the time. It's like, well, it could be worse than doing this, so let's make sure we get a guy that we can at least rely upon to be solid so that we don't have to to fall back and get into mid-February when the lockout is lifted and suddenly everybody's scrambling and we might not be able to take advantage of that market because it'll go past our puke point. Like, that's an example of the way the Cardinals have not spent in a savvy way. Sure, they threw money at Steven Matz. They spent 40 plus million over the course of those four years, but was it savvy? No. Was Wilson Contreras as a signing savvy? Offensively, hopefully he gets there. But no, I think it's I think I've seen enough to say it wasn't a savvy signing in the way that they constructed the roster around him to just be the new Yachty. That wasn't realistic, and that's what their expectations of him were. And that was a mistake of the front office to just think he could walk in and do that without clearly doing their due diligence that they needed to to be able to know what that transition would look like. Part of it's on Contreras, but I think most of it's on the Cardinals organization having an expectation that it would just be so simple to let somebody waltz into Yadier Molina's shoes despite all of the the praise and the great things they said about Yadi over the years. I, I just think it's crazy that they thought it was going to be as simple as it as they hoped it would be. And you might say right now that, like, well, Brendan, that's all over and done with, and Contreras has been catching and doing a great job recently. Did y'all see how many games Andrew Kisner started over the last week? It's I mean, it's clear to me that there's still some level, I don't know if the word is mistrust, but it's clear to me that there are certain preferences. Like, I, I don't know how you can talk around it at this point, that Jordan Montgomery... Or uh, or Michael Miles Michaelis, you know, has a better rapport when it comes to catching with Andrew Kisner. I just think that's at this point, it's kind of hard to deny that that would be the case with the number of times that they have consistently used those guys in those spots. So for me, it's just kind of a difficult situation to go. Did you spend five years and eighty-seven and a half million on a catcher that's only going to be part time? If that's the case, all right, but you better hope that that guy can sure hit. And Wilson Contreras, to the the earlier point of the season, had not been hitting. And he's starting to certainly come around offensively, and the Cardinals need it. He's got to be one of their – he's got to be their third best hitter. I still consider Brendan Donovan to be their third most valuable position player, and he consistently shows why. Even when he can't play a position on a given night, he's showing why. But Wilson Contreras needs to be the Cardinals' next most valuable position player behind Goldie and Arenado. 
He needs to be that for this team to be where it where it wants to get. And I don't even know if that's a fair ask of him, but that's the way they were constructed. That's the way they chose to build this thing. And and they paid him as such. They jumped into it because they really needed a catcher, though. It has to work behind the plate as well. And even though I don't have anything tangible to say that Contreras hasn't been doing a, a, a solid job recently of catching, he clearly wants it. I mean, you saw the way he dove headfirst into first base late in this game. He wants it, and he wants to win as much as anybody, but wanting it and being able to execute it on the level necessary aren't always the same things. I, I want a lot of things that I'm not able to do, um, but with his ped- pedigree and track record, Wilson Contreras should be able to do a lot of these things. Can I say specifically that he's not getting the job done as a catcher? I don't know, but I'm looking at the data of they sure used Andrew Kisner a lot before he had his trip to the ER, and you know they're not winning games or pitching well. So, like, is it a case of I can blame the catcher for the pitching staff? No, I didn't like it when the Cardinals did that earlier in the season. But, like, again, with the Michael K thing, if we're getting word now that, well, the reason that they had to do that for a little while is because they had to get him to stop calling pitches that the Cardinals pitchers on the mound didn't actually throw. Well, if that ends up being the case, then, yeah, that's a boo-boo on Contreras, and it's embarrassing and understandable why the Cardinals would want to try to keep that as quiet as possible. It's just one of many things, though. I'm just looking at a roster construction standpoint with this Contreras conversation and saying, you know, they felt like they needed a catcher, and so they jumped into it, and that's the way they spent their money, and it's the only thing they did in the offseason. John Mozalek has not had a good couple of offseasons in a row, and I'm not even going back to, like, the Arosa Arena for Libertor. Of course that was a bad trade at this point. There's nobody denying that. Um, Libertor maybe can turn into something eventually, but the results are not good. I don't know, though, if if you can give any blame to the way that they just figured the catching position would run itself post Yadier Molina. I think you can, but I don't think that's the same as saying it's Contreras' fault, if that makes sense. I think that's the way the Cardinals decided to spend their money, and if they thought they were getting $87.5 million of value out of Contreras because of partially what he could do at the plate, but uh, partially what he could do behind it to make sure they didn't have a huge drop-off behind Yadier Molina's uh, retirement— then they're not getting their money's worth, but that's not necessarily Contreras' fault. They should have known better that it was going to be the way that it is. That's kind of my thought process with that. Patrick is wondering if the Cardinals pitching staff is ruining my internet. Or running my internet, he said. Well, maybe it's both. Maybe it's both. If desirability was a factor, the Angels and Mets wouldn't be in constant disappointment because those guys are, are coastal teams, which is fair. Even Miami is normally bad, but Skip is turning the ship. Yes, Schumacher's done a great job, but he is—he's got to be going to him, going home every night this week, just laughing, going, "How am I getting these wins right now?" The Cardinals are handing them over to Skip Schumacher the last few days, but he's—he's uh, he's done a nice job. The, is a great example. The Miami Marlins—you might not look at them and see a bunch of stars, but their uh, executive Kim Ang, I believe, is how you pronounce her name, but she's done a nice job with the moves that she has. Um, has put together for that team. And one of those was trading Pablo Lopez, a good starting pitcher, for Luis Arias, who has has elevated his game offensively since she acquired him. That's taking a, a player that has value, Pablo Lopez. Like, Mosellac, when he has a Pablo Lopez, he goes, well, we got to put him in our rotation because that's the way, you know, that's the way it needs to be. We've got to have good pitching. You're right, but you've got to think outside the box sometimes. And that's what the Marlins do, trading Pablo Lopez, who's closing up to an expiring contract for Arias, which I don't know if he had more years of control, but I think he he has or would sign an extension. I'm not 100% up to date on that. 
but like he is thriving batting near 400 with Miami. And so they made a trade that maybe wasn't comfortable to say, hey, Pablo Lopez, you know, what are we going to do without him? Well, we've got surplus pitching, and so we think we're going to be okay. Let's go ahead and let these other young guys like a 20-year-old Yuri Perez get a chance this season. He turns out to maybe be one of the best pitchers in baseball. Like that's an example of using the resources that you have to basically take a lineup that has some good pieces like Arias and, and, and Brian De La Cruz has been good, but they have combined to basically become greater than the sum of their parts is the phrase that I was trying to talk myself into with the Marlins. They're 10, 15 games above 500 right now, whatever it is, they're greater than the sum of their parts. The Cardinals are absolutely, in 2023 to this point, lesser than the sum of their parts. They've got good parts. They are not a good team. They're a bad team. And I don't think it's as simple as we want to make it where we say, hey, here's the smoking gun. It's Contreras, or it's the bullpen, or it's just the fact that they have no pitching. At times, it's been the inconsistency of the offense. At times, it's been base running. At times, it's been a a team that has led the majors and gold glovers the last couple of years, turning into a mediocre or worse defensive unit. It's all of that that has happened to the Cardinals this season. And that's why I say they're lesser than the sum of their parts right now. Like, there is no denying that that's what we're seeing with this team. And it's a hard pill to swallow. And yes, the last time that the Cardinals could say they were lesser than the sum of their parts, they fired the manager as a result of it. They brought Mike Schilt in, and he cleaned up the the fundamentals of the team. Mike Schilt was credited with doing that. He ran spring training. He had experience doing those things. And then when it was his show and him calling the shots, to his credit, man, he fixed those things. And the the, the bad fundamentals of the Matheny era, they didn't last long, and Schilt was able to write the ship in that regard. There were other things going on maybe that the Cardinals didn't see eye to eye with Mike Schilt on. But ultimately, fundamentals was never an issue, right? That was that was definitely a calling card of those Mike Schultz teams. Ollie Marmel, I think, is a savvy baseball man, and I think he's he's got a lot of intelligence and knowledge about this game, much more than I have. But that being said, 36 years old, coming in, did the Cardinals maybe just not quite realize the extent to which it could be difficult for a lesser experienced guy, even though he's got decades of experience in baseball, to be able to write a ship when it unexpectedly hits an iceberg. I think that's possible. I don't like generally the conversation because I think fans were too too quick to jump into it to say, oh, Ollie Marmel, they, they, they hired this young guy that's too inexperienced. He doesn't know what he's doing. I don't think that's true, but I also think that he and basically everybody else within the Cardinals has no idea what it feels like to lose and to lose to this extent because it's never happened to the Cardinals. And when I say never, we're talking the last 20 years, right? Last 20, 25 years. It's been an upswing for the organization my entire lifetime, right? McGuire hits 70, and from there, by 2000, you're in the playoffs, and you just never look back. The Cardinals don't know how to lose. John Moselak doesn't know what it's like to have built a, a defective team. He doesn't know what it's like because he's never done it until this year. And so... Is there a case to be made that it's not just Ollie's age or like lack of big league managing experience? Because I see asinine comments sometimes where people say, Ollie just needs to go back, you know, he needs to go to the minors and learn how to manage. Yeah, he's managed in the minors and has done it really, really successfully. That's how he earned this opportunity in St. Louis. But you get yourself into a situation that's unprecedented with the organization you're in. How does everybody respond and react to it once 
oh, the slow start becomes like the reality of your life now, you're just a bad team. And is there a way over the second half of the season to reverse that trend? I don't know if there is, but I do know the Cardinals aren't used to it, and I think that's a major reason why they haven't been able to figure out how to pull themselves out of it because they just have not. It's almost like they're a, they're a brand-new baby team, fresh out of the hatched egg, and Mama is trying to teach them how to walk, and they, you know, they, they, they fall down. They don't know how to get back up. They don't know how to do it yet. A lot of times we talk about these teams that need to learn how to win. That's usually with young teams. Now, we've heard Arnado talk about this year, how the Cardinals are a young team. I kind of rattled that idea around in my brain, and I didn't really know what to do with it. But I guess in a lot of ways, they are. But, like, they have enough veteran leadership that it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a large problem for them that they have a lot of young guys they're relying upon. And, like, that's kind of a scapegoaty combat, too, because it's not just the young guys that are causing this team to struggle this year. The rotation is not young. I mean, if you look at the opening day rotation of, or or when everybody's healthy, what the opening day rotation would have been, because I realized Wayno was on the IL. But you're talking about Flaherty in year six. I mean, he's a free agent, so six years is what it has to be. I'm not looking at his game card, but that's what it's got to be. Wainwright, Michaelis, Jordan Montgomery, a free agent after this year. Steven Matz, already signed after free agency in a second contract uh, following his first six years. Like, this is a veteran rotation that has completely fallen into shambles. So don't don't tell me it's a young team and that's why. Bullpen, you got some young guys in the bullpen, but really you don't. You don't have a lot of guys that have made their major league debuts this year and, and are, are trying to find themselves. You've gotten very little contributions, honestly, from the minors this year when it comes to uh, pitching in particular. I can't think, I mean, uh, I guess Zuniga pitched for like a game, but who else has made a debut pitching-wise? James Nail pitched last year, so he didn't. Um, I'm racking my brain to think of guys who have debuted on the pitching side. Jordan Walker, obviously on the hitting side, but they just haven't gotten, I mean, it's, it's a sad state of affairs when the Cardinals are this bad and you look to the minors and you don't really have anybody that's obviously on the come to help you out. And that's just where they're at right now. Guys, make sure you subscribe to my uh, YouTube channel, Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. Appreciate you guys. You're the reason that I do this. And so if I get you to sub on the channel, it helps me a whole lot to keep moving forward. Um, Jesse wants Mo to speak or do something. I think that's fair. Laborer88 says that the rock bottom has a trap door. Yeah, I think they hit rock bottom and they found a bunch of shovels and they just kept digging. Uh, Laborer has joined the Fire Marmel bandwagon. And what I would say to people is like, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Fire Marmel. Don't fire him. They, they, they will someday. And if they do, we'll talk about it or they won't. Those are the two possibilities. Um, but it's like, it's so far gone. If they were going to fire him, you'd think they'd have done it by now. And that's why I think, no, they, they're still trying to find a way to have him see this thing through. He's got to do a better job though. But at the same time, it wasn't his fault. They lost today. It was the bad pitching. Now, maybe that's not true. If he, if he doesn't start Libertor, they might not lose, but everybody else you bring in kind of stinks too. Right? So I just think starting a guy on three days rest was a concrete example of Ali Marmel contributing to the, the percentage chance of the Cardinals losing a game. Like, that's just, I, I don't agree with it, didn't agree with it when it happened. But whether they fire him or not, like, it's just, I don't know if it changes anything. <laughs> I really don't. And if you think he's a good manager, and the only reason he looks so terrible right now is because everything is on fire, maybe if you can play in a better roster next year, everything won't be on fire, and he would still be the guy to lead that team. So I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. But, yeah, if you're on the Van Wagon, I, I get it at this point. You know, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I just, I don't think it would be 
the move that I'm like looking to make. But at the same time, like I get it. You're 16 games below 500 for a team that was supposed to be playoff bound. Yeah. You want accountability. You want heads to roll. You know, they should maybe roll some heads. I don't know. Like it doesn't matter anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm getting so much to the apathy stage of this whole thing. And that's not really fair to Cardinals fans because they should be allowed to be mad. It's just like, we're losing energy. I think to talk about the same thing every time it's, it, it kind of is what it is at a point. But Cardinals fans, you know, deserve to be upset rather than apathetic. And I, I do I do believe if John Mozeliak is not ready to fix it, he should step aside. There's the accountability if you want that. Most shouldn't be allowed to to run this team into the ground uh, by just kind of standing pat and, and being afraid to make the bold moves. He's not been a very good general manager or a pobo in making bold moves the last couple of years. He's made, he's made the paint-by-numbers move every time. Paint-by-numbers. By that, I mean... Okay, you want to get a catcher from the Oakland Athletics because Sean Murphy can can be the defensive replacement of Yachty and add offensive contributions to it. Okay, but they're going to ask for these players that you don't want to trade. So what do you do? The least common denominator, the easiest thing to do is to go pay for the good catcher on the open market. But what do you know about that catcher? Do you know he's a good fit? Do you know all these, you know, you can paint a picture that makes him look like a good fit because we all did. We all wrote the stories and I wanted it to be the case. It still very well might be the case. But the Cardinals are either not on the same page with what they expected from Contreras or, you know, whatever the case was, they just didn't realize how hard it was going to be for somebody to step in for Yachty, even though largely Andrew Kisner did it last year defensively. I know offensively it wasn't a, a good story, but, you know, that neither neither was it for Yachty or Molina. A lot of the problem this year has been the inability of the pitching staff to perform, not the offense of the catcher position, even though Contreras hopefully heats up and gets to where he needs to be there. It's really been more about what's happening in the relationships with the pitchers. And so if that's one of those things that the Cardinals should have probably known better about, yeah, you could make a case that uh, John Mozeliak had a whiff in the offseason there by not trying to call a bluff from Oakland and say, look, they're trading Sean Murphy, and I believe that. So I'm going to make sure it's to me. I'm not going to just willingly take myself out of the market for him because I, you know, I negotiated for five minutes and didn't like the way it looked. And maybe that's me being hyperbolic. I don't know how the the insight on those negotiations. I know John Mozeliak didn't win them though. That's what I know. I know that he caved and signed and signed Wilson Contreras because he thought that was the move that he needed to make. Again, an example where he was probably worried. Well, what if Wilson signs somewhere else and then the A's don't trade me Sean Murphy for a fair price? Then I have no catcher. That fear manifested into the Cardinals saying it's the easiest thing to paint by the numbers and and sign the guy that can replace Albert as a DH and can replace Yachty at catcher. Two birds, one stone, one bat, done. That was what I mean by paint by numbers because it sounded good in theory, but it has not worked out well in practice. But again, it's not Wilson Contreras' fault that the Cardinals are bad. That's just an example of the type of transaction and acquisition that John Mozeliak has tended to make, it seems to be the ones that are almost too good of a fit to be true. And then sometimes it is right to say, Oh, it's perfect. Steven Matz is the perfect pitcher that we're working, looking to get in our price range. And he wants to come here. That's another part of this, right? We're talking about is St. Louis desirable to free agents? Largely, maybe it's not. And so if you're John Mozeliak and if you're Bill DeWitt, you have to either acknowledge that and, and work within the parameters of the players that do want to come here, like a Steven Matz, or you say, now nah, we're just going to overpay for the guy who's good because everybody's got a price. You might want to play for a hundred million dollars on your contract 
if you're in Chicago or if you're in LA or if you're you're in New York or you know whatever market you desire, but you'll do it for 120 if you're in St. Louis. You got to pay the 120 if you're the Cardinals, or you have to have a model that says we can hit on the guys that do want to be here, or we can have enough of our team built via trade. This used to be the way they did it. Built via trade, bring the guys in. They get to see like a Matt Holiday did that one season in 2009 that, oh, I do want to be in St. Louis because I like what they're cooking here. And so then you convince them to sign long-term. That's often been the order of operations for this Cardinals front office in the way they build these teams. But if that model doesn't work anymore, and I would venture to say that it doesn't, because if you only have a handful of free agents to pick from every cycle that are willing to come to your place, three of them you don't want anyway, one of them you probably want but it's too expensive, and the other one's like, well, he's the only one left, and he's at our position of need, so let's do it. Like You're going to end up missing more than you hit on those on those acquisitions. So I get it. Everybody wants accountability. I think the only ac- accountability needs to be John Mozeliak trading away the short-term assets and then figuring out a way to make trades for starting pitching, which I know I've seen some comments in here that it's not a robust trade market for starting pitching, especially controllable arms, and I understand that. I don't control the market, neither do you, and neither does John Mozeliak. But for only one of us, it's our job to operate within that market, and it's that's Mo. It's not my job or anybody watching this video's job. It's John Mozeliak's job. So it's the big leagues, whether it's robust or not. That you, no, too deep to make excuses at this point. You just got to go do it. You got to go find a way to make those deals, or you have a losing team. It's a business. Fan base wants success. They deserve it. It's a simple equation for me at this point. And if, if they don't think John Mozeliak is capable of, of making those types of moves that are a little bit bold, then at some point I think he should recognize it for himself and maybe may step aside. I don't know if they're at that point yet. I think he's capable of having a trade deadline where he goes, all right, I can recognize, I can put the hubris down to realize I missed. I missed on the way I built this pitching staff in the offseason. I should have maybe seen some of these things coming. I didn't, but I have a way to fix it. And it's going to be uncomfortable because I'm going to have to trade a player I don't want to trade. Do it or don't and, and be continued to be mired in mediocrity. That's that's the decision of the front office. But I think you're at the point where there's no more. You cannot explain this away, right? Mo has been able to explain away a lot. And he's been able to always fall back on, yeah, you may be pissed off about this or that. But look at the record. Look at the track record. And he was always, always correct but he wouldn't be correct if he did it this time. You can't explain this away. Jesse says every pitcher besides Montgomery sucks. Who the hell is Marmol going to put in? Yeah. That's not a Marmol thing. Man, Marmol has not done a poor job managing the bullpen this year. I hope people see that by now. Has he done some other things he can improve upon? Absolutely. Bullpen management has not been his problem. But today, starting pitching management was, should not have started Libby. But yes, there's nothing for Marmol to do. The entire pitching staff is bad. Or at least they're all performing badly. Maybe they all like have collective amnesia and they're going to snap out of it and wake up and turn good again. But they are pitching like bad pitchers right now. As a team, the whole lot of them. I don't have one guy that I go, yeah, he's been good. Jordan Hicks has been good, except for when throwing to first base. Any reason to assume we won't be in on Monty negotiations? If we were priced out on him, I don't have much faith that they'll be able to revamp the pitching staff as much as they need to be. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he'll be back. Just the vibe I get. And if I'm Monty and I've been in this S show, I'm like, all right, I want to go somewhere else. This sucks. I want to win. Um, so, no, I think because he's a Boris client, guys, that's the key here. Scott Boris, 
He's going to get the highest dollar. He knows what he's doing. He's notoriously difficult to deal with if you're on the team side. Uh, I, I can't claim to know what kind of relationship the front office and Boris have, but, you know, it's just, it's just there are a lot of impediments potentially to bringing him back, so I would love to be trading him. Uh, the guy's name is Farts McCool here. I, You're not really going to make me say that out loud, but McCool says 100%. When it's coming to Wainwright, quote, he's healthy, nothing physical, too. We knew he wasn't there physically in a few weeks. Yeah, that's that's what I say. Like, Cardinals fans aren't dumb, and the reporters asking the questions, remember what you said five days ago. So have a little humility about it. If you're going to be a last-place team, which I know you didn't choose it, but if you're going to be a last-place team, have a little humility about the way you, you conduct yourself because otherwise you do sound a certain way, and it's not the way you want to sound. CJ wants to see Libby back to Memphis or the bullpen. Like, again, it's it's rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic now, folks. You can make any pitching move you want, but is it going to do anything? I don't know if it is. Alex says to trade DeYoung, call up Mason Wynn, or move Tommy back to shortstop um, after the DeYoung trade and calling up Moises Gomez, see what he can do. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. You could you could throw Moises Gomez in there. Um, I, would, I would consider trading DeYoung if he's got a market. Because if nothing else, you free up an extra couple of million dollars that you would have otherwise had to pay on his buyout for next year if you didn't want to bring him back. Um, or if you do want to bring him back, it's $12 million, 12.5. But you do have Mason Wynn heating up. I think he uh, had, a, had another big hit. Might have been a home run. But he's got five RBIs in five games. I, th- I think I saw from the Memphis Redbirds Twitter account, uh, which, by the way, Twitter almost stopped existing on my birthday over the weekend. That was kind of weird. But if you're still on Twitter... Or if you jump over to the uh, the Threads app, the Instagram-backed Threads app, um, I am bshafer12, uh, I should say, on every single app. So make sure you follow me on the new app, Threads. I'm on there. You can find me. Um, I don't think it'll take over Twitter, though. My uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm video of Jordan Hicks getting you know hundreds of retweets and likes tonight, if I had tweeted that out, well, actually, I did try to, to thread that on the new app, and the music didn't even work for it, so... I'm I'm thinking Twitter as much as Elon Musk is a buffoon. I think Twitter is going to stay. So just saying though, find me on all the other apps because uh, you know I'm doing YouTube. I might as well do these other things uh, as we continue to cover the Cardinals for for B Shape Daily and and everything we've got going on here. Jesse says that DeYoung might have trade value. I think he might, but I would have to go to every team individually in MLB and go. Do you want this guy? Would you Would you want to keep him for next year at that twelve million dollar price tag? Can you give us a prospect? If so. I think this season has gone far enough off the rails that I call up Mason Wynn. I play him at shortstop every day. But, like, the Cardinals have been playing him at other positions in Memphis at times. The Redbirds have sometimes had him at second and other spots. I think that's dumb. Play him at shortstop every day because I think he can be the shortstop of the future. Or, like you said, Alex, if it's not going to be him yet, just put the, put Tommy Edmond back there. Um, I'm going to do my 10-second rant on Dylan Carlson still being in right field. It's asinine. He's not a worse center fielder than Lars Newpar. I don't understand why it can't be Carlson in center field. The Cardinals are wrong about that. They've got it wrong. They continue to get it wrong. That's all I've got. Because it's it's been months now, and they're clearly not doing anything about it, but it's wrong. It's incorrect. Dylan's their best center fielder defensively. Uh, Joseph says that the Yankees would love Hicks. They might. They might. Tom wants to know what's up with Gio. He melts down in any high leverage spot. They're all struggling, Tom. Every reliever on this team, every starter on this team, except for Montgomery and maybe Flaherty, if he has an, another good one tomorrow, that would build up his trade value, and I would move him um, because I don't think he would take the qualifying offer. He might, but I doubt it. Um, 
But then his market gets a little bit tricky if he doesn't take it. Do you get a draft pick for him? Does he sign? Is it? I think you probably can still get good value for Flaherty as long as he pitches well the next couple of weeks. Uh, and I don't think he would he would re-sign with the Cardinals either. So I would say trading him, probably the best bet you could make. Jason says, what happens when you don't develop pitchers, quality pitchers, maybe sucking for a few years, give the Cardinals high enough draft picks to rebuild the farm? Yeah, it shouldn't be the case that they'll need to, to suck for years, Jason, but I get it, man. I get why people feel this way because there's nothing redeemable about the team right now as it stands. So, Grave of Einstein says, I think, honestly, ditching the coaching staff is part of what went wrong in the offseason. Bench hitting and pitching coach all went away. Suddenly, everyone needs to adjust to new coaching. I think it's right, but also, they didn't ditch him. Mike Maddox left of his own accord. Jeff Albert left of his own accord. Skip Schumacher got a promotion to manager of a different team. But I couldn't agree more. The overhaul of losing your three biggest coaching pieces, aside from a manager, those are the three big ones, and you lose the leadership of, of Albert Pujols, and you lose the leadership of Yachty and his, you know, game calling behind the plate, his managing of a pitching staff, you lose all of that at once. Uh, let's see, World Baseball Classic, new rule changes that specifically harm the rotation because they don't miss bats. Like, this, there was a world in which we should have seen this coming, but I never thought it would have been this bad. Never. Uh, we're invoking the 1951 Giants. Labor 88 says they were... Uh, 54 and 23 from this point in the season, forcing a playoff with the Dodgers back in 1951. But they were seven games above 500 at this point, and they had a lot better pitching. Yeah, the Cardinals are not the 51 Giants, but it'd be a lot cooler if they were. <laughs> Michael says so many one run losses. Yeah, Michael, I think this is what, number 18 on the year? They're like eight and 18 in one run games. It's terrible. Will says that Libby can be a fantastic hurler. The Cardinals aren't suited to develop the young stars. They haven't developed a pitcher in a while. It's just the reality. I'm not even telling you who to blame for that, but I can just look at the numbers and know that it's true. I can look at who they've used. They've had a veteran-laden rotation that a lot of the guys have come from outside the rotation, from outside the organization, I should say. And then you've got guys like Dakota Hudson just toiling away at AAA. He was supposed to be developed and turned into a really good starter, and he was for a minute there. But again, it's just completely, it's gone now. (laughs) They don't have... The guys at those positions coming up through the system, turning into mainstays in the rotation. It has not happened in a while. Let's see here. Drew only watches for Jordan Walker at this point, and Joseph echoing that says, me too. Uh, Redbird says that Newpar has an arm but is not great at reading center field hits. He's better in the corners. Yeah, Newpar should be in right field. Dylan should be in center. I'm not even going to debate it. It's just a fact. I sound pompous when I say that, but, like, I don't understand. I don't understand why they're forcing it the way that they are. Monty showed that he could be a great number two or three, maybe an ace on a contending team. He could be. Yeah. Jack says he loves the Mizzou hat. How about this? It says um, Phillips 66 in Big 8 Conference on the back. Got this off of eBay for my birthday. Love this hat. Um, Yeah, we'll have Mizzou football to talk about. Not on this channel when we get into the football season, but... If I need to make a Mizzou football channel on YouTube, I will. By the way, if you guys already subscribed to me on YouTube, um, one of my featured channels is listed directly under my uh, on my main page on YouTube is a fantasy football channel that I will begin using a lot. I'm going to do a lot of fantasy football mock drafts, 
And uh, if you subscribe to that channel, I'll start to do posts and get you guys involved in the mock drafts to where you're, you can actually draft and be a part of the videos that I do. Um, but I'm going to have to get into fantasy content after Cardinal stuff ends because that's another love of mine. Philip says that Mo is so used to shopping at Walmart for players, he's going to feel out the place having to shop at Macy's for players. Yeah, it's going to be out of place. It's going to be out of place, but it might need to be what he does. Um, shop at Macy's or, or at the very least, put yourself into a situation where if you're shopping at Walmart, you're at least knowing what you're buying. It's okay to shop at Walmart. I shop at Walmart. It's cheap. It's affordable. And sometimes they have good products, but you got to know what you can afford to buy at Walmart and then what you probably shouldn't buy at Walmart. You should probably go to Schnucks or go somewhere else to get it. You know what I'm saying? You go to Target to get that kind of stuff. You got to recognize what you're buying and whether or not it's something that makes sense to buy from Walmart. Sometimes you can skimp on certain things and it's economical. It's effective. But I feel like the Cardinals have not spent their money economically in recent seasons. That's kind of been the issue for them. Daniel says, do you think the DeWitts honestly care about the franchise winning? If not, why not sell it? Yes, I do. I do think they care about winning. Um, but they also do have business interests that they have to think about that fans don't. Fans just want winning. Um, but at the same time, like I think you're going to see how much Bill DeWitt cares about the urgency of winning based on how he responds to this by raising the payroll. And if it's not, you know, trying to usher in a new era post Moselock. It's telling Moselak, look, you got to be bold in some of these moves. Like, what we've done doesn't work anymore. But he and Moselak are, are are conjoined at the hip. I, I, he's not going to fire the guy. I think he's the one that convinced Mo to actually do this last contract. Mo probably would have been content to ride off into the sunset by now. But they've got a lot of things that they're trying to see through to the finish, like the construction at Roger Dean in the Jupiter Complex, like, uh, you know, the end of some careers of, of Albert Yachty, Wayno now. Uh, so, so those are factors as well. And, and I think, you know, introducing Jordan Walker, there's a lot of things on the business side and on the, the player development side that I think it made sense to have Mo stay a little longer. But this has not been the result that they're looking for. And so do Bill DeWitt and John Mozella get together and say, hey, if I'm going to stick with this, I trust you, Mo, but we've got to take a different course of action, which may mean spending a little bit more of my money. I could see that, and it's probably what should happen. You can't be 16th in payroll. You need to be top 10. Does that bother you when other teams are spending frivolously and teams like the Mets aren't necessarily getting rewarded for all the money that their owner is spending? Yeah, that probably bothers you as somebody who runs a business, but that's where it gets to be like there will come a day. I don't think they're there yet because the DeWitts have been good stewards of this organization prior to this year. Again, to be able to never have losing seasons basically is an impressive feat, um, and it's why the fan base is what it is. Cardinals fans aren't going to be showing out to Bush if they have five years like this. I promise you, it's not. Cardinals fans aren't special. They're not special in that regard that they're going to just show up no matter what. Every fan base would would end up kind of falling off and losing interest if they had to sit through what what we've seen Cardinals fans sit through for three months. If Cardinals fans had to do that every year, then they'd be St. Louis Rams fans. And Stan Kroenke would try to move the Cardinals to L.A. Small joke, but like Cardinals fans, you can say they're the B-fib and whatever. They're not special. They're not unique in the fact of they'll just support them no matter what. No. Bush Stadium has had some empty periods even during these last few years when they've maintained winning records. Cardinals fans will stop showing up, and I think if if it gets bad enough, that will have to kind of spur action from ownership from the front office. 
And Tom, going back to mentioning Sean Murphy, which is a great point, says that the Braves gave up a lot less than what the Oakland Athletics were asking the Cardinals for. He absolutely should have been negotiating with them. And I agree with that. But what he decided was, I'm going to counter and say, you got to pick from Gorman, which again, Gorman was a big name to include, but reportedly, I think it was Derek Gould that had that. The A's wanted Donovan, Newt Barr, and Graceffo, the pitching prospect. And the Cardinals are like, you can pick from Gorman, Carlson, Yepes, and Burleson. Pick two. Something like that. And that, I think, was the extent of at least what came out of the negotiations. But if that's what it really was, and the A's were like, no, we don't want those players, and then that was it? I mean, that was on Mo for not continuing to negotiate, but even more than that, not being willing to walk away from the poker table for a minute and just kind of let some hands play out. Let the negotiations go on for Oakland and the Braves and those other teams. And Oakland at one point would have realized, yeah, the Cardinals are our best option. We can get more from them than we can anybody else. And we want to have the best return on our investment that we can, so we're going to trade with the Cardinals. Instead, the Cardinals willingly took themselves out of the trade market by acquiring Contreras, paying him money, and being done, which then automatically and economically this makes sense. It lowered the value of what Oakland could get for Sean Murphy because it took one of the contenders for his services out of the running. And the Braves, being a savvy organization, knew that. So they hooked up with the Brewers and said, hey, we'll give you this guy. We'll get, you know, William Contreras ends up going to Milwaukee in that deal. Brewers say, hey, it's fine. We're getting a good catcher out of this. And the, the Braves say, yeah, we're getting a better one than the one we had. So we're we're happy. And we're all throwing trash out to Oakland, except for Asturi Ruiz, who's going to steal 90 bases. Every, everything else that went in that deal was, was nothing. And uh, that's the best Oakland could do because there was no longer the factor of the Cardinals contending for his services, for Sean Murphy's services. And that was Mosellock taking himself out of the running instead of getting up from the blackjack table or the poker table and just kind of watching a few hands. He got up, cashed in his chips, and went home by by signing Wilson. And maybe that ends up being great. Maybe Wilson Contreras goes on a tear the second half of the year like Albert did last year, and he's he's you know one of the best hitters in the NL. That could happen. However, I think there's something to be said for there was an avenue if Mo was willing to be riskier about it. And you might say, well, what's riskier than paying $87 million? Well, they don't view that kind of risk as the same kind of risk. It's two different types of risk. This risk is, you know, we might spend some bad money, but we're still probably getting a good player, and there might be some bumps in the road, but he's the best available, and so we're just going to have to kind of accept that. You know, we think we know what he is, and so we're accepting that level of risk that he might fall short of expectations. The other type of risk is, we're publicly going to be embarrassed because we told everybody we need a catcher and then we missed out on everybody. How often, though, do they say, don't worry about winning the offseason, win the real thing? That's what maybe Mo should have been a little more willing to do is say, well, we don't win the offseason if we don't sign Contreras and he ends up signing with, I don't know, pick a team. I can't even think of an example, and that's part of it, too. Cardinals probably bid against themselves. The Cubs weren't in on him. I don't know who would have signed him. Um, they didn't need to do it, at least as, as early in the process as they did. It's just like they were very unwilling to let things play out and to potentially risk getting burned and being left at the altar with nothing to show for it. But you know what that would have led to? Andrew Kisner and Yvonne Herrera starting a bunch of games. Guess what we're going to end up seeing this year anyway? Well, Andrew Kisner started a bunch of games. Now Yvonne Herrera is the backup. Like That's the way that it would have gone, and and yet you would have saved $87 million that you could have maybe spent 
on pitching. But then again, should this Cardinals front office be spending on pitching if it's going to continue to spend poorly on pitching? You have to identify the players, develop the ones that you have that are young, but identify the ones outside the organization that you think can give you a leg up and a boost. Cardinals just have not been able to do that. They've signed guys like Matt's going back further, Brett Cecil going back further, Mike Leake. Like those are the kinds of big money pitching contracts that they have doled out and they have not largely been successful. So it's a, it's an ownership thing. You got to be willing to spend more money, but as a front office thing, you got to sign the right players. I know that's such a simple thing to say as somebody who's on the sideline and I have no role in this. I have no ability to impact what they do or make a decision on what they should do. And so it's easy for me to sit over here and be sideline, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterback and say, well, they should have done this. Don't sign that guy. He stinks. They didn't think he stinked at the time. Stinked, stunk. And so that those moves end up getting made and you regret some of them later on. But it's their job to get them right. It's not my job to get them right. It's my job to talk about whether they've gotten it right or not. And that's what we do here on this uh, Brendan Schaefer St. Louis Cardinals writer YouTube channel. If you guys are just joining the stream, welcome in. You can rewatch the entire thing or you can head to Spotify tomorrow morning and check out Be Shafe Daily. Um, the audio of this entire live stream will be up on Spotify and Apple Podcast on the show Chafe Daily's podcast page. Um, but subscribe to this YouTube channel because we do a lot of Cardinals talk throughout the season and uh, the off season is going to be popping. I, I've only had this YouTube channel since like April 2nd. It existed before that, but I've only been using it since like the beginning of this uh, baseball season. I'm excited to have an off season where we can talk Cardinals because then we can get into a little bit of the speculative period. But in a couple of weeks, we'll get very speculative as well as the trade deadline stuff begins to ramp up. A uh, couple more comments before we get out of here tonight. Trey says, are we even going to have enough healthy arms to be able to trade away Monty Flaherty and Hicks? Yes. Yes, they, the Cardinals can do that because I can build you a rotation. It's not going to be a good one, but I can build you a rotation of Wainwright. Yeah, I said Wainwright. Uh, who would be left? Michaelis, Mats, Libertor, uh, Dakota Hudson. That's already five. Zach Thompson. Jake Woodford's probably going to be out for a while. He had a second shoulder issue, so maybe not him. But I just found you six guys right there. See, the Cardinals do have six starters. No, it wouldn't be a competitive rotation, but that would be a situation where you're just admitting that you're you're selling on the season. And uh, not intentionally tanking, but that rotation will tank for you. Edmund has that Bader diving go-get-it reaction. I like that for our team, similar to Jim Edmonds. Good comment from Redbirds. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Tommy Edmund guy, but he, I just don't think he should be in center. I think uh, Dylan should be there. Aaron would trade Edmund over to Young, probably net more in return, and buying out to Young doesn't hurt you more than you get back. Yeah, but I think Edmund also has value to this baseball team. So that's why I don't trade Tommy Edmund unless you're getting the pitcher that you need, in which case it's a tough decision, but you may have to do it. Uh, Tom says 0% chance DeYoung is back next season. I don't agree with that, but I think I think it is more like a 10 to 15% chance. But again, only $12 million for the production he's giving at shortstop. Go ahead and sh- sort it out. I really don't think you're going to end up getting uh, a lot of shortstops with a 775 OPS and, and you know, top half defense. DeYoung has been one of the better shortstops in the NL this year. Just has been. Jack, what's up, man? He says it's my 21st birthday until midnight. Can I get a shout out? I'm sorry I missed you, Jack, on that comment because it is after midnight now, but I hope you've had a good 21st. I hope you're barely coherent enough to even understand what's what's being talked about right now because hopefully 
you imbibed and enjoyed yourself uh, as one does on their 21st. But a uh, happy birthday, buddy. Um, Gary LaRock, always praised, never criticized. Mo is past his prime. What does Gersh even do? Front office is a train wreck right now. Gersh is a, is a Mo underling. They all work toward the same goals. Um, you're not always going to see his name plastered on the deals that are made, but Gersh is influential in, in many of them, I'm sure. Uh, but the Gary LaRock stuff, I think is fair to say, like what is the, uh, the audit that needs to be done on, on his role in developing, you know, it's not to say that he's, he doesn't have more baseball knowledge in his pinky toenail than I'll ever hope to, to have. I mean, he does, but you know, I think you have to audit some of those things. And the Cardinals as an organization, maybe not comfortable doing that because they've just assumed for so long, like this is the way it is and we do really well. So we shouldn't have to, you know, worry about that. Well, you're not a winning team right now. So you have to think about those things. Um, I'm going to disagree with B Burke on this one. He says, I get tired of people saying that Donnie or Edmund are winning players and we shouldn't trade them. That's exactly why you package them in a deal. But if you trade away too many winning players and you don't know for sure you're getting winners back, that's why you don't package them, right? Excuse me. I you 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 mm, you can't trade Brennan Donovan. I short circuited even thinking about the idea that the Cardinals would trade Brennan Donovan. It's an, I mean you can't. There is there is almost no pitcher. You could go straight up for Dylan Cease, and I would be like, all right, you probably can do that. But I don't. I just don't think you can trade Donovan. He is a gamer. He is the kind of thing the Cardinals need to have nine of on the field. Screw trading Brennan Donovan. You clone him. Invest in that, Bill DeWitt. I don't think cloning is a thing. Uh, but I'm serious. You can't trade Brennan Donovan. You can't. He's too valuable to the team's ability to win. Not valuable in terms of like in a trade. He's gonna be you're gonna get more for him on the diamond than I think you would in a trade. I do believe that. But Joseph says a trade has to hurt in order to get quality back. And I agree with that. I have said that. One of the biggest deficiencies Mo has is his inability or unwillingness to make a trade that hurts because he's had one that have maybe not hurt at the time. Like nobody thought trading a Rosarena away for a former first round pick was bad when they did it, but we didn't know what we didn't know at the time. He has been burned by trades in the past deals that maybe didn't hurt at the time, which I think is now leading to him not being willing to make trades that are going to hurt in the moment. But I think you should recognize that trades that do hurt in the moment could end up being the right moves over time. And I'm not sitting here telling him which trades to make. Again, that's his job to know. It's not mine. But I think that's where the Cardinals are. They're kind of gun-shy on making moves because they've been burned by them in the past. Corn says, uh, we can talk in circles all day, but the pitching has been god-awful. But he's saying that tired of people saying things like that because they've heard it a million times. In the comment he was pointing to, was about they hired Ollie to be a yes man for Mo. And Korn says, because of the whole Schilt philosophical storyline, you know, we could talk about how that the, the merits on either side of that. But I agree with Korn. Like I think the the notion of an Ollie yes man is an oversimplification. And yes man doesn't mean that Ollie isn't his own person. He's as as bold and stubborn and as, you know, as as strong minded as anybody. So he's not a patsy. Like, nobody thought they were hiring a patsy when it came to Ollie Marmel. He's a, a man in his own right of, of you know, baseball integrity and knowing what he what he wants and expects of a team. Unfortunately, right now, a lot of that's not happening for this team. But 
That's just what it is. Aaron wants Aaron. Aaron wants Aaron Nola. He said pleased, so. Joseph says that this offseason, guys like Bassett, Evaldi were affordable. And the problem is they could have signed a Bassett or an Evaldi, but what they did instead was sign Steven Matz a year previously. And it was a bad signing. But it was that same bucket. It was that not the exact same price range. I think Evaldi was 17 mil. But like same concept. They've just been they've been passing on the moves they should make, and they have uh made some that they shouldn't have made. Paul says, uh, I'm not honestly interested in talking about this season anymore. It's going to be a disaster, and it's to the point where nothing's going to change. So we're just writing this terrible season out. Well, Paul, I got news for you, buddy. I got to continue to talk about it because it's my job to, to talk and write about it. But I hear you. But Trey says not trading Donovan. He's like a mini Luis Arias. I think he is. I would argue with more flexibility defensively and maybe not as much of a hit tool, but an on-base tool that is the reason you really like Donovan. And he can, I'm telling you, he develops a power game. He's Matt Carpenter. And we've seen a little bit of that already this year. And and by the way, when I say Matt Carpenter, it's a good thing. It's not what you remember him as toward the end. He was amazing for the Cardinals for several years. Um, Einstein says that Goldie is such an enigma of a best player we have right now. It's like he is, and his antics doesn't occupy much of a space in my mind. And wait up, he leads us in B-War. <laughs> yeah, he uh, his numbers are basically a little bit below career average, but he's still been Paul Goldschmidt. I would need, like I said, I said this weeks ago, I would need, and a lot of time the Twitter rumors at the trade deadline are meaningless, but I would need multiple Twitter rumors of like some huge prospects that make me double take when I see that those guys are being rumored for Paul Goldschmidt. And that's when I'd be like, all right, maybe you trade him. But otherwise, I just don't think the return's going to be there. And I'm maybe I'm just wrong about that, but that's why I wouldn't engage the Goldie conversation because I don't think anything you do is going to help you be able to still be competitive in 2024 the way you need to be. You don't have a replacement for Goldie. You don't have a replacement for your best player. Very few teams would. And if you're trading your best player, you sure are going to have to end up getting some serious value. And I just don't think you can entertain that at this point, personally. All right, guys, I know I've gone for about 90 minutes. I've gotten a bunch of these comments, was able to get to as many as I can. I'm sorry for those that I was not able to get to. If I didn't get to your comments and you wish that I did, I'm at bshafer12 on every social media platform, including Twitter. So hit me up with a direct message. You can uh, hit me up on the new one, Threads. You can hit me up on Instagram. You can find me anywhere. Facebook.com slash bshafer12. I post Cardinals content over there as well. But that's going to do it for this edition of the show. Uh, make sure you guys are subscribing to Be Shaped Daily. Like the stream and subscribe to the YouTube channel on the way out. You guys have been fantastic. We'll try to get some of the, more of these going, especially if I can get the damn internet to work. But uh, you guys were great about bearing with me tonight. So subscribe before you leave. Thank you guys so much. And we'll talk to you next time on Be Shaped Daily Live. Peace.